let's open our Bibles. Uh, if you have it, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. We're going to finish the Christmas story today, and it has a terrible, terrible ending. Um, a lot of times when we are uh, talking about Christmas, leading up to Christmas, it gets really romantic and really sentimental. And, and how can you not love Christmas? It's a baby, right? Like, who doesn't like babies? And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, the whole story changes this week. Uh, and, and this is part of the reason why we left it till after the actual holiday season. So it'll be on the screen. Uh, we'll read through this, and then I have a couple observations that I kind of want to talk about when we're, when we're done. Uh, getting through it. All right. So, to give you a little context, Jesus has been born already. Uh, the Magi, as the Bible describes them, some people call them wise men. They're actually probably like uh, quasi astrologers who were magicians. Uh, actually, visit Jesus and worship him. Um, to find him, they end up talking to King Herod. Okay, King Herod the Great, uh, and he was called King Herod the Great because he would kill you if you didn't call him King Herod the Great. All right, he was an incredibly violent ruler, incredibly successful ruler because he killed everyone who voted against him. And uh, so there's just uh, he hears from these wise men that there's another king, that the king of the Jews has been born. Well, Herod is the king of the Jews. And if you say you're the king of the Jews, the way we solve this disagreement is I kill you, right? Uh, and so Herod told the wise men, why don't you come back, tell me when you find Jesus so I can go and worship him too. The wise men are told by God in a dream, don't do that. And so they go home a different direction and this is how we enter the story. So uh, verse 13 sounds like this. Now, when they had departed, the day is the magi or the wise men. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I call my son. Uh, so, um, Joseph and Mary have Jesus. Joseph is told her to dream what to do. Joseph gets up that night, gets Mary, gets Jesus. They get on their family donkey and take off for Egypt. Uh, Bethlehem is about 150 miles just from the Egyptian border. All right, So this is at least like a seven-day trip for them. They're getting out of town because Herod's on his way to destroy Jesus, and that's Herod's intention. All right, uh, So Joseph leaves and goes down into Egypt, which would have been like... Um, uh, it's under Roman rule, and there are a load of Jewish people that already live in Egypt. There's some estimates to say Alexandria, the Egypt's big city, like had one-third of its population were Jews. They had a, like a replica of the temple built so they could do sacrifices and stuff in Egypt because there were so many Jewish people who lived down there, so many people who lived there basically as refugees because they were afraid of Herod the Great, all right? And so if you have a terrible ruler like that and you can move to another place that's outside of his, his jurisdiction, jurisdiction uh, they did. And, and just loads and loads of Jewish people were moving down there. Uh, and so Joseph goes down there um, with him so that he can escape from uh, Herod. And he stays there until the death of Herod, okay? Now Herod uh, the Great died about 4 BC, okay? Which... Um, the calendars are messed up and that kind of thing because a monk m misjudged it and we have better information now. But um, So Jesus was actually born probably around 6 B.C. In between 5 and 7 B.C. is when Jesus was born. All right, So how's that? Jesus is born five years before Christ. But um, the... Uh, 
uh, Jesus is born and then in that time right before Herod's death Herod actually uh, is um, trying to go down and destroy Jesus and it's very close to Herod's death so Joseph takes Jesus and he goes down into Egypt it's an interesting kind of uh, thing that happens in that um, that Matthew quotes and he says this out of Egypt I will call my son alright that's how this section ends and he quotes Hosea the prophet uh, Hosea when he was using this prophecy originally everyone assumed that was Israel because Israel did this right this is what the story of Exodus and the story of Moses is about that God brought his people out of Egypt out of Egypt I called my son and my son is Israel and now what's happening is Hosea is being reinterpreted uh, by Matthew to refer to Christ, the actual son of God. And so Matthew saying this prophecy is now even more true. It was true, but it is even more true now that out of Egypt I have called my son. And he's applying uh, Hosea 11 uh, to Jesus, even though it had been applied uh, to Israel before. And he's seeing this as a, as a messianic prophecy uh, and bringing in that Old Testament flavor because Matthew is a book written to a Jewish author. Audience. And so the people, when they hear, out of Egypt I have called my son, they would think and remember, oh yeah, that's what happened to Israel. Okay, that's what's happening to Jesus. There must be some similarities here. Because Israel being brought out of Egypt was a salvation story. And so what Matthew's doing is telling his readers that the salvation story has started. This is a new salvation story. God saved his people from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And now Jesus is initiating a whole new salvation and bringing people out of Egypt uh, in, in more of a uh, spiritual sense into a promised land uh, in which we would refer to as heaven um, or heaven or Denver today. So um, go, go Broncos. Okay. Um, Churches all over America are praying for Tim Tebow today uh, and praying against the evil Steelers. And so if you're a Steelers fan, we're going to share the gospel with you towards the end. Um, but it is uh, it's a great, great day uh, if, if Jesus quarterbacks the Denver Broncos. So um, <laughs> that was way off topic. So, Verse 16, then Herod when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years or under, two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, so Herod um, kills. All the children in Bethlehem and the surrounding area around Bethlehem. Uh, you can see why all of a sudden all the sentimentality of the Christmas story is gone. All the male children under two are killed by Herod's soldiers uh, because Jesus was born down there in Bethlehem. And, and there's people that romanticize this and say, yeah, those babies died, but they died so Jesus could live. That's garbage, right? Are you going to go and tell those moms and dads that, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's a terrible thing to do to this scripture. Uh, what, what's happening here is uh, the, the violent, tyrant ruler has gone down into a city and wiped out two years worth of male, male children. Uh, as those kids grew up through school, there would be classes 
You know, second and third grade was only girls. Third and fourth grade was only girls. And there would be a whole generation where this would affect it. And Bethlehem was like a small community, all right? So this isn't thousands. This is 10 or 20 young boys, all right? Uh, 10 or 20. Uh, And so we don't have... Uh, one of the things that people, scholars, have a hard time with is this this massacre is not recorded in, in other sources, all right? And so they're like, well, Herod might, probably didn't do this because it's, it's not recorded. But Herod was killing people so often that going into a village and killing the male babies, uh, this sounds terrible. But for Herod, is not surprising at all, all right? Uh, Herod killed, he had a, a, a like children and nephews who would get too popular and so he would kill them because they would be rivals to his throne. He killed his own sons. All right, He had sons that he killed because they seemed too popular and he wanted to be in charge. And if they became popular then he would be in charge. One of his wives he strangled because of an offense that she did and later found out she didn't do it. Whoops. Right? Uh, killed his wife over that. When Herod died he had commanded that to about 200 uh, loved noblemen throughout the country be murdered when he dies so that there would be weeping in the country at the time of his death. All right? Uh, when he died, his sister rescinded that order. And so his sister was everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> and they still held a big funeral for Herod the Great and all those kinds of things because his son who took over was just as terrible. Uh, who took over the area of Bethlehem was just as terrible. But Herod was this guy who would, like, when I say he would just kill you because he felt like it, he really would. And there was no one to hold him accountable to that. So for him to roll into a village and kill the male children uh, is completely plausible because uh, he has, like, no morals uh, to how this goes. Now, uh, when the scripture is quoted, this is Jeremiah being quoted, uh, about weeping was heard in Ramah and Rachel was crying because her children were no more. This is quoting the prophet Jeremiah. The city of Ramah is about equal distance above Jerusalem. As from Bethlehem's five or six miles south, Ramah would be five or six miles north. And Ramah was the place, well it's a burial place of, of uh, Rachel and uh, it would also the gathering place for the last ex- exile of the Jewish people in the year 586 BC. That was when they were rounded up, they were kind of corralled in that city, and then they were exiled into Babylon. All right? And so Ramah is a city with a lot of really negative memories for the Jewish people. Uh, it, it was like a gathering point to where they were exiled, and, and many of them just never returned to Israel. The prophet Jeremiah was there in that city when they were being rounded up. And the prophet Jeremiah then uh, wasn't taken in the exile and he stayed in the region of Judah and he tried to influence the people uh, by telling them about God. He was a prophet who brought the message of God to the remnant of the people who stayed behind. And he was wildly unsuccessful. Uh, people didn't, he was frustrated in his ministry to the people. But he was trying to communicate something from God to these people who had lost everything. Imagine if like uh, like if someone took over America and everyone was exiled and a few people are left behind, right? It's depressing to be exiled, but it's equally depressing to be left behind. To be the only family that lives in your neighborhood anymore. Oh, and it probably wouldn't even be your whole family. It would be like the older folks in your family because they couldn't walk as far as the uh, ruling people were going to make you walk. 
uh, they would, in exiles, they would look and take like the smartest and the best looking and, and the royal men and, and bring them first, right? And, and so the rest of us, I mean, they wouldn't get to Albany for a long time, right? <laughs> there was, uh, but, but we would probably be a lot of people who were just left there and would be depressed and would hate God and would be angry with God and they would be weeping about this because their whole world had been destroyed. This is the kind of world that Jesus enters. Jesus enters a world that's filled with suffering. Uh, Jesus enters a world where there are Herods, uh, where there are terrible, terrible things that are happening. And just like Jeremiah was bringing a message, and he was frustrated because people didn't listen, Jesus brings a message. Uh, it brings a, a whole new understanding of what God is trying to do in people's lives. And he's frustrated because he's trying to communicate this to people and they don't respond to him. Instead, they actually uh, put him on a cross and kill him. If there's good news, uh, it's this, uh, that Herods die and Jesus lasts. Jesus is around forever, but Herods die. Uh, Hitler's die. Stalin's die. Um, Bin Laden's die. Uh, these are like terrible Kim Jong-il's die, right? Uh, and this is, and, and this sounds really like bad for me to say, but that's actually really good news. It is really good news that evil, evil people die. Uh, and I'm not saying we should have a dance and celebrate when evil people die, but if someone evil who's raking evil on earth dies, uh, it's okay to feel good about that. Uh, it's, it's actually the good news in this story is that Herod dies, all right? This is verse 19. But when Herod died, all right? And when he died, people would go into the inner room in their house where nobody could hear them and they would hold a little party, all right? And they would be like, but don't get too loud because Herod's, uh, when he died, actually gave his kingdom to his three sons, all right, uh, who were like in their late teens. Uh, Herod Antipas, who took over the region of Nazareth. Herod Archelaus, uh, who took over the region of Judah. And a guy named Philip, uh, who didn't get the name Herod, apparently. Um, but he uh, had his own region. Uh, and Herod Archelaus, um, was, he started ruling in, in uh, uh, 4 BC and, and when Herod the Great died. And Herod Archelaus was just as terrible and just as violent as his father, but he had no administrative skills. Like his father had administrative skills and built stuff. Herod Archelaus had no talent, just killed people. All right? And so he only ruled until 6 AD, about 10, 11 years. Uh, he only ruled that long because the Caesar at the time actually removed him and sent him to Gaul, which is like the worst thing, right? Like that's being like transferred to like the Alaska office, all right? I, I know Alaska, if you're from Alaska, that's bad. But I mean, if we sold that, we can make a lot of money. Uh, and so... Uh, he gets transferred to Gaul uh, and, and all of a sudden he, he, the people are happy again but Caesar transfers him because he's worried that the people are going to revolt because he's killing so many people that the people are just going to revolt, right? And it's just like this. He's a terrible, terrible ruler. And, and so when Herod died, this verse 19, when Herod the Great died, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Let me stop there for a second. In Egypt, um, well, in this time, gods were territorial, all right? Uh, like there was a god over here and there was a god over there. God, Yahweh God of the Old Testament, is the only god who claimed universality. 
In Egypt, the god is Amen-Ra. All right, Amen-Ra is the god of the sun, and he rides uh, on his sun boat over the earth every day, and they would worship the god of the sun. And if you wanted to pray to the greatest god in Egypt, his name was Amen-Ra. All right, so they would have Amen-Ra songs, they would have all this kind of stuff. Okay, they had lots of other gods, but Amen-Ra was the big one. Uh, and so for God, Yahweh appears in a dream to Joseph in Egypt is a huge statement. Even though it looks like, oh yeah, that's where they were. This is saying that God, Jesus, is operating in his divine power in a pagan culture. Not just in the Jewish culture that was to bring forth the Messiah. Not just in God's chosen people. But God operates everywhere. Uh, this is why it's, it's a mistake to say, like, we're going to, if missionaries go to Umbu Batu, it's a mistake to say we're taking Jesus to Umbu Batu. He's already there because Jesus rules over all. There is no culture that God doesn't exist in. All right? The people may not know him. Uh, the people may worship him wildly, incorrectly. Um, but, but you can't uh, think that God isn't somewhere. He already is. And he rules over everywhere. Uh, huge statements. Uh, so the Lord appears to Joseph in Egypt in a dream. Verse 20 saying, Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus... Herod Archelaus, was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there he was, because he was just as violent. And being warned in, in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, which would be up north in Israel. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that, which was, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Um, a couple of interesting things there, just a side note, but you can't find in the Bible somewhere that it says he was a Nazarene. Apparently this was like an, an outside of the Bible source that people just kind of had this saying. Uh, and there's a couple of these in the Bible. There's like, it's like everybody says, you know, and then there's sayings that aren't written down, uh, but, but everybody would just know this, that the Messiah was going to be a Nazarene, all right? Uh, so Joseph is going back and he's going to go back to Bethlehem, which was in the re region of Judah, but Archelaus rules over that. He doesn't want Archelaus to continue the mission of Herod the Great, his father. And so being warned in a dream, he removes himself and goes up to Nazareth. All right. Uh, so uh, he returns there. Nazareth is, is a little village. Uh, Archaeology tells us there's probably like 480 people that live in Nazareth at the time that Jesus lived there, uh, which would just be wild. That means there were kids in Jesus's classes, right? There were kids that Jesus grew up with. Jesus learned to like crawl and maybe walk in Egypt. Uh, and then his first big uh, like car trip that he could remember uh, would be back up into Nazareth and he would move there and this is where Jesus would live until he was like 30 years old. This is Jesus' hometown. Uh, Jesus' dad was a carpenter. And uh, during Jesus' childhood, uh, Nazareth was this small city that was kind of off the beaten path. Uh, it would be like a small town that's off I-5 in our culture, okay? But the city that was on the I-5 corridor was called Sephoris. One of the close ones was called Sephoris. Sephoris actually burned to the ground in, in, during Jesus' childhood. And Jesus' dad was a carpenter. And the rebuilding of Sephoris, we read in, in ancient history books, uh, the building of Sephoris was done when the Caesar hired 
hired carpenters from, and masons from outlying areas, outlying cities. And so it's pretty easy to, to assume that Jesus' dad helped rebuild Sephoris, Jesus' dad Joseph. Uh, and Jesus would have learned his father's trade uh, because that's what all the children did. You learned your father's trade. And so Jesus would have went with Joseph down to Sephoris to work. And so Nazareth was a, was a good place to live. It was a good place to raise a family because it was quiet. It was out of the way. It was apolitical. It was multicultural. There were Samaritans living there, Jews living there, Gentiles living there. Uh, he would be, your children would be exposed to lots of different ideas in the world. And you would have a place to work because there was this city that was trying to rebuild itself. Uh, it was, like, it makes sense uh, for Joseph to lead his family to a place where he can protect them, where he can expose them and help them like to, to ideas and new learnings, where he can help them grow, and he has a place where he can work. And many of us in this economy have done the same thing. Uh, we have friends who have moved long distances uh, speak for work, uh, for their families, and so they can provide, right? Some of you maybe have moved here for that reason, and, and there's just this, uh, that's, that's a very God-honoring thing to do, to be able to work and take care of your family. It's, it's a huge huge blessing. We know this. And this is how Jesus would have grown up. Uh, so if you're, uh, you know, into Bible atlases and stuff, you can look up Sephoris because Jesus built that town, uh, which is kind of funny to think about. There were people who lived in a house that Jesus built, right? Don't, wouldn't you love if they were Christians and they died and went to heaven and were like, you look familiar, right? Uh, do I know you from somewhere? And Jesus is like, yes, you wanted that extra big staircase, right? Uh, but I'm sure that Jesus wasn't offended by that because he never got offended, right? Um, so there's also with that, though, the city of Nazareth was also uh, referred to in a messianic sense. Uh, the prophet Isaiah uh, talked about the, the uh, twice in Isaiah's prophecy. He talks about uh, the branch uh, of Jesse. And the branch is referred to in a messianic sense, all right? And the word branch in their language would be Nazir, all right? Nazir. And you have Nazareth and Nazir. And so it kind of sounds the same. And so when you would say he is a Nazarene or he is a Nazarean, uh, you would be using this messianic word at the beginning. Uh, and so because there were so many people named Jesus at the time, and it was a common name like John or Michael in our, in our culture is, they would take on different names for their last name. Uh, and so Jesus became Jesus of Nazareth. And there was this play on words that it would be like Jesus the branch. And everyone would say the branch is like how we say the Christ. Uh, the branch would be the Messiah, the person that they were waiting for. And, and so there's this kind of undertone of this guy is the Messiah at the same time in the beginning of, of Matthew's story just by moving into Nazareth. Uh, interesting stuff that if you're an original Jewish audience reading this, you would catch right away. Uh, because of our long cultural difference, it's hard for us to understand. Now, a couple big ideas. Um, Jesus was born uh, king of the world, and that's a theme in Matthew's gospel, son of God, virgin birth, and he's rejected by the ruling authorities in his day, specifically the religious ruling authorities in his day. Uh, the pagan magician astrologers come and act as God's servants and worship God, and yet the ruler of God's people acts like a tyrant and kills people like a pagan. 
really kind of, Jesus enters this world that's wildly skewed. Because now we know all religious institutions are pure, right? That's a joke. Uh, there is, uh, we can see, uh, like, Jesus entered this world that exposed what religion does to people. All right, And here's what I mean. When I use the word religion, I don't want you to get confused because I believe we're a part of a religion. But religion refers to our efforts, not to God's efforts. And what changed my life and what makes me a Christian is something that Jesus did to me. I didn't save myself because I chose to follow Jesus. Jesus saved me. All right? And so religion is my expression to God. I don't depend on religion. I rather dislike religion because it constantly fails. But Jesus never fails. And when Jesus enters the world, he exposes this right away and shows that the religious ruling authorities, what the religious ruling authorities do with Jesus is try to kill him. Right? Uh, you've been to churches like this. <laughs> and, and there's this kind of, uh, there's this kind of Jesus might upset the apple cart if we actually follow the teachings of Jesus, if we actually listen to what Jesus said, if we actually lived our life the way Jesus lived it, uh, things might not work. And whenever you start kicking at the, at the power structures, power structures don't like that. Right? You may have experienced this in your life. Uh, maybe in school or in your job or something. Or a teacher gave you a dumb assignment and so you said you're not doing it out of protest because this is dumb and just the principle of it is and you ended up with a C, right? Uh, even, you know, that was me. But there's this... Uh, <laughs> but there's this kind of... Uh, when you start pushing on the authority, the authority has all the power and they can react in whatever way they want. And the authority reacted to Jesus by trying to kill Jesus. This new king of the Jews was born. And so what does the current king of the Jews do? Eliminate the new king of the Jews. Because that's what power tends to do. And Jesus exposes this just in being born. And, you know, when we're, uh, as Christians, we expect a certain amount of, um, uh, I wouldn't call it like persecution, but uh, a certain amount of grief from people who aren't Christians, right? You go out, your friends are drinking, and you choose not to drink, or your friends are getting drunk, and you choose not to get drunk. Uh, you get a certain amount of grief from that. You just do, right? People are making fun of someone in school, and you say, hey guys, knock it off. You get a little grief from that. We expect that. The surprising thing is when you get grief from Christians, or from the religious people, uh, when they say, oh, you guys, you can't do that, right? Or, oh, you guys, that's, that's outside of the boundaries. And you're like, well, we just thought we were loving people. I'm really sorry, right? The surprising thing is when the power structure of the religion starts to come down on you. And this is, when this happens, this is the exact same thing that happened to Jesus. Now, don't start supposing that just because people are mad at you that you're like Jesus, okay? I know people like this. They're like pastors. And they're like, hey, I offended people. Screw them. That means I'm like Jesus, right? No, it means you're a bad pastor, all right? Um, but, and then you say that and you're like, see, I'm right because you're persecuting me too. Holy smokes, right? Uh, there is this kind of, uh, there's a, an understanding, and this is part of the importance of living in community and having people around you that you trust, uh, you know, and you can talk to people and be like, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing, this is why it's important to be a member of a church or be in a life group and, and be a part of a community and have relationships. 
Because it's, it, just following a religion is easy, but following Jesus, uh, you're going to get a certain amount of resistance from religious people. Uh, the second part that uh, goes along with that big idea is this God is everywhere concept. This God is everywhere concept is absolutely huge. Because we have this tendency to say, and I've heard people say this, right? Like, oh, don't say that in church. Or don't run in a church, right? Or don't, and, and you can say like, so God exists inside this building. Like God exists just inside this cafeteria. But once we go out there, you can do whatever you want. Uh, that is an old, ancient, pagan view of how gods work. When you think that God has a magic place, and you have to behave and dress nicely in the magic place, and then you can go and operate everywhere else, however you want. God is the God of the universe, and he's the God of all time in the universe. So when you're going through whatever you're going through, it's impossible for you to be out of reach of God. It's impossible for God not to be able to be close to you. When you're in a place that you've never been in, or when you're going through something that you've never struggled through, or when you're having experiences that you've never had, God is there. When life gets harder than you ever thought life was going to be, God is there, no matter where you are. It's, no matter how far you are from God, God is there. And I know that's hard to make sense of, uh, but the further away you get from God, God is still right there. And it's not a God that is pulling away from you, or God that has an issue with you. Uh, God continues to be everywhere at all times. Uh, this, I think, is good news for us. We're not really celebrating the death of Herod anymore. Uh, we celebrate the death of some evil people in our world. And we do, right? And I know that's complicated and stuff like that like because we don't want to celebrate somebody's dying but we can celebrate today and every day that God is with us and when we go through times where evil people are in charge God is with us and we go through times uh, where things are bad God is with us when we go through tragedy when our friends go through tragedy God is with us at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is introduced. And he's introduced as Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. I don't know if there's better news in the world today than that. Let's pray together. Jesus, because you are with us today, we pray to you. Because we are assured that you hear us, we pray to you. And God, there are many of us in this room who may be far from you, who may feel far from you, and I pray that you would reveal your nearness to our hearts, that we would be able to know your presence in our lives, that we would be able, not just, not just for us to see you in some kind of magical sense, but to know that you are right with us, that you are right beside us, Jesus, many of us are just beginning our relationships with you or just beginning our attempts with you, uh, our attempts at life with you. And we pray that your spirit would fill us. Just as you, Jesus, were born and you had to go through, I mean, the first two or three years of your life just stunk. 
your dad had to find a new job a couple of times and you had to move and, and your mom had to take care of you on the back of a donkey traveling places and God some of us are walking through times that we aren't prepared for that we aren't ready for that we don't know what to do with and we just pray that your grace would be evident in our lives carry us and sustain us because you know what it's like because you're with us right there. Amen.